0: Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real-world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. Hello and welcome to MHI Cast. You know, diversity is more than just a buzzword used when recruiting for a company. Today's employers are looking for the very best talent. Uh, and of course, skilled workers will gravitate towards companies that embrace workers from all walks of life. And so, in today's episode, we speak to Annette Danik Ake from Penguin Random House and Dr. Randy Bradley from the University of Tennessee about why diversity, equity, and inclusion are integral to the supply chain and what you can do to create a workplace where employees are engaged and enjoy a high level of trust and job satisfaction. So let's dive right in. And thank you, by the way, to the both of you for being with us. First question is, why is diversity important in the supply chain workplace? Let's start with you, Dr. Bradley.
1: I I would start with I would think every organization that's in business today, particularly in the supply chain, wants to be innovative and wants to be creative. But oftentimes what we fail to realize is that innovation and creativity are the result of diversity, of having a diverse workforce where individuals bring different skills, different talents, different perspectives, coming from different backgrounds. And so you can see a problem or an opportunity from a multitude of vantage points and when you're able to take that multitude of vantage points together, go into the ideation phase and then the, the, the solution development phase, and then realizing how do not only now do I launch this particular product or service, but how do I ensure that the way I market it resonates with the, with the, with the constituents that I want to do business with? And all of those things are going to have implication for supply chain because you're trying to figure out what are the most appropriate distribution channels to get my products or services into the hands of my final consumer. And then I think the other part of that is when an organization has a particularly strong emphasis on diversity and is not a tactical element, but it really is a strategic component built into the overarching business strategy, and not just an independent, isolated strategy to appease a specific group, then what you're doing is this this level of commitment to both diversity and equality, what you're sending a clear message to anyone that you do business with, you're sending a clear message to everyone within your organization that you care about your personnel, you care about your employees, and also to the broader community, whether it's within your industry or sector, or whether it's beyond that. And those things have implications for the way your products and services are perceived in the marketplace. So that's why diversity is important with respect to the supply chain workplace.
0: Thank you for that. Annette, how about you? Do you have anything to add to that?
2: Really, I think it's important because if you if you have diversity and people see diversity in your company, then you will get more diversity. And by contrast, if you don't have diversity, I do don't think you're going to get as many people applying or, or um, you may not, you may not get all the talent and have all the access to the talent.
0: It sounds like you may have an example or two of that. Uh, do you care to elaborate?
2: I can give myself as a personal example. So been in this industry, you know, about 27 years and my first job, I, I definitely hit, hit a glass ceiling. So there were times where I hit a glass ceiling. I had, I had you know, a couple advocates around me, all men um, who helped me and had me, you know, helped me actually get some some internship opportunities and do some things in the company. Um, But I will never forget this one situation where I wanted to work on the receiving in one of the facilities and on a second shift. And I had pitched like this is like an internship for me. And it'd be really great for me to get this experience. And they were all supportive, but they had to bring it up in a meeting. And they came back from that meeting and they said, Annette, you know, just so you know, yes, you can do this internship. But um, everyone else in the in the meeting had said they were really worried because one, because I was a female and I would be on second shift. And could I handle it? And, and they said that and they, they really they were upset. They were really upset and they were kind of warning me, like, you know, saying, Annette, you're going to be up against these obstacles. And they had to fight for me. So they did. They did fight for me. I got that. But it was my first opportunity to kind of see, hmm, I could have advocates around me, but the people above them might stop me. Um, And I say that because then I got an opportunity another year from then. A recruiter out of the blue called me and said, hey, we have this this smaller publishing company and they need someone to come work there. I interviewed and I interviewed with all men. But as I was leaving, there was a woman in the corner office. I was like, well, who's that? They're like, oh, well, that's the woman who runs the whole place. So so I kind of took a chance. I said, you know what? I know I can convince the people around me, but there's a woman up top. So I took the job because of that. So now if I fast forward 25 years, I have a new um, I have a new engineer that we just hired about. she, She was like three years ago. And three years ago, I asked her because I was preparing for another um, speaking engagement. And I said, why did you come to us? Because I thought she'd, you know, why did you choose us, right? Um, and I thought she would say, oh, because our culture, whatever. Do you know what she said?
0: I'm, I'm guessing it was similar to your experience. There was a woman on the executive
2: team. Yeah, that's what she said. My jaw, I mean, my stomach dropped. My stomach dropped. Said, oh, you know, you, it, and you know, I've worked in my company, right. I'm in my swim lane, right. I've, you know, for 25 years, I've been at this company and had, I got that woman's job just so you know, like, so I did get that. I did get her job and my stomach dropped. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, I've done my part, right. I feel like I've done my part to bring diversity into my company and, and it's definitely changed. Um, but haven't really paid attention outside my swim lanes. I said, oh, Annette, you can do more. So, um, I, she still said that. And I said, well, did you have other offers? She said, yeah. And we didn't, we were not the highest offer. We were not the highest offer for her. So, so that kind of disappoints me, but that's, a, it's, a, it's a message and it's, it's, it's part of my message is you, you can change that, but if you don't have diversity somewhere or at the top or somewhere that people can see, you are probably missing out on candidates because they're going to go somewhere else.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And it seems almost like a a feedback loop with diversity attracting even more diversity. Uh, I believe we touched on it briefly in your last answer, Dr. Bradley, but could you go a little further into how having a diverse workforce can impact a business?
1: Yeah, we did touch on it slightly when we talk about the ability to appeal to a broader audience, but let me be a little more specific there. One of the things that we're seeing, the shifting, I'll call it a paradigm shift, if you will, your customers did business with you because they knew you. And 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 so your work, your reputation, it preceded you and it spoke for you. But what we're beginning to see now is entities that choose to do business with other entities are asking themselves, what else do we have in common? So there is a social impact factor that maybe previously was not as influential in determining what that relationship is going to look like. But now we're beginning to see that's not necessarily the case. And so you have to begin to say m- companies want to work with individuals who believe in the same things that they believe in. So if I have a potential customer, if I have a potential supplier, and they have a very strong commitment to diversity, and yet I don't, then that could be problematic for us doing business moving forward. And so that's the societal or social shift that we're beginning to see in the marketplace, which will have tremendous implications for your business. It's going to impact your top line and bottom line numbers. All those things that are important to the C-suite and the board of directors. And so, again, we may not, and I'm not saying that we need to be able to make a business case for diversity. There are some things that require deliberation, and then there are some things that really just require a decision. Diversity is one of those things where it's just an action we need to take for the good of society for the good of our organization and for the good of our business relationship. We don't have to be able to tie an ROI to it, although if you look at academic study after academic study, you begin to clearly see that organizations that truly embrace it versus those who just pay lip service to it, see tremendous returns on any dollar that they put towards true diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives.
0: Okay, so now let's dive into creating a more diverse workforce, starting with recruiting. How can recruiters help And what are some do's and don'ts that you'd recommend?
2: I would say yes. And I would start with, I would even start with your own human resources department. Like, what does that look like? Um, And so I'm really proud of my, um, my partner in my human resource department. She really has an extremely diverse department. And she's been intentional about it. It's not like it happened on accident. She was very intentional. And I remember even maybe 15 years ago, her telling me, I'm gonna have the most diverse department in this entire company. And she does. She really does because she set it as a goal. Um, so that's your own Hr department. But recruiters, the ones that I talk to, um, they actually are extremely happy when when I say things like, look, i'm I'm looking for a candidate who can do x, y, and Z, and has these skills but I don't, I'm not looking for someone who's in the publishing industry. And it's interesting because they'll have this kind of sigh of relief because I think they often fight, fight an employer or maybe say, look, does it, do you have to have experience in this industry? Cause I can get you more people if you're willing to, to look outside your industry. Um, so I would say that's one thing, but you know, like recruiters can help, but I think we as employers can help them by not limiting them. Um, so I would say that's, that's one big thing that that employer can do to, to, to get more experience.
1: How
0: about you, Dr. Bradley? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, this is a, a very important question because I think the challenge is oftentimes recruiters are put in a very difficult position. You're given a task to go out and find the best possible talent. And that's what you're looking for and you're looking for that talent regardless of what box they check and, 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 and whether it's, it's their, their their gender identification whether it's their ethnicity or whether it's, it's something else and so you're saying i'm trying to find the best person to fill this particular slot however the function in which they're going to go into may not perceive it that way and so oftentimes i found that when recruiters go out they go out with half information Not necessarily misinformation, but not complete information. And so then you go through the process and you create a very uh, fabulous pipeline or pool of candidates to consider, but then all the other things get in the way. So one of the things I always say, if you want to be successful in this year, we have to ensure that diversity, that the diversity strategy that an organization has, that is incorporated throughout the entire hiring process. It's not something that comes at the very end. It's not something that's only spoken about or mentioned at the very beginning. It's not just a tagline at the end of the job announcement that say, you know, we welcome diverse candidates, but I think it has to be embedded throughout the entire cycle. So re- re- recruitment is only one process in the hiring cycle. I'm sorry, only one activity within within the hiring process. And so when we when we thread it throughout, then what you do is you eliminate the likelihood that your actual recruiters are going to go out with a different mindset than the individuals who are going to be working with the talent that you actually bring back to have evaluated. And so, what you're trying to do is you want to ensure you've got the widest, most diverse pool of candidate as possible relative to the description. I think where recruiters can also help the functional areas is when you're when you're reviewing the description, ensure are there any code words, or buzzwords, or things in there that would automatically eliminate particular categories of diversity. And it's not that necessarily that people intended to do that. It's just the way we phrase, the way we frame things, and then we automatically eliminate a portion of the pool that you would have loved to have in front of you. And so I think when you look at this, are we asking for certain types of personalities? Are we asking for certain types of experiences that might be restricted or limited to one particular population and not necessarily to a broader population? And then ensuring that as you are beginning to promote the opportunity to work with this organization, selling them on the creative and dynamic environment that you have. I always say we do a very good job in the supply chain of sourcing raw materials, but oftentimes we do a very poor job of sourcing talent. And so if we'll take some of the same practices that we do in sourcing raw materials. And then we might find that the the candidate pool might look and appear and feel substantially different than what we have seen in the past.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Is there, uh, in your opinion, a way to string these ideas together throughout the entire hiring cycle or process?
1: Yeah. So I look at it like this here. If if you think about this, the the hiring cycle, you have the recruitment piece, right? That's where I'm chasing you. Then you, (laughs) and and then once I've corralled you, now you have the evaluation period that you go through. And then once you go through the valuation period, now you're at the point where you're actually trying to make the hire. This is where I'm trying to seal and close the deal. And then you go on to then the retention. Unfortunately, what I see a lot of times is diversity is emphasized on the recruitment or is the emphasis is placed on the retention. But yet there are so many other aspects through there to where we don't even know anything about how diversity and where diversity plays into in terms of how it guides us. How does it guide our evaluation process? Because you do a good job on the recruitment. You've got a nice pool, but when it comes to evaluation, the diversity strategy starts to fall apart or elements of that strategy never filter over into how we, how we are going to evaluate to ensure that it's an equitable and it's a fair evaluation process for every candidate. And and so that's what I mean about threading it throughout the entire process. Think about the key activities that we go through and, and then ask ourselves. Does the diversity strategy speak to this? Do we see elements of the diversity strategy informing how we do these things?
0: Okay, that covers the recruitment and retention angle, but what about the evaluation process?
1: I think the tendency in the evaluation process is you want to try to find a common standard and you want to say, how well does each candidate measure up to this common standard? But what we have to ask ourselves is, from where did the common standard arise? Is it a common... And the thing that we all like to say, but we absolutely, many of us cringe, is the term of fit. Well, this person fits more than that. What does that really mean? Do they fit better because they look more like you? Do they fit better because their background uh, resembles yours? Do they fit better because you can relate to the story that they told? And so I think it's those things in evaluation, those very subjective elements that begin to get in the way. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for the subjectivity. In the evaluation, I'm saying we just have to make sure that we don't become so totally slanted towards that to where we discounted.
0: Important things to consider, no doubt. Thank you, Dr. Bradley. The hiring process is only one component of a fully realized diversity strategy and creating an inclusive workspace where they can thrive is another. So Annette, from your perspective, what can employers do to foster a more inclusive culture?
2: Yeah. So that's the key question, right? Because you can have diversity but you might not even be inclusive, right? So, so even though you look diverse and you have stats that are diverse, you, you know, if you're not, if you're not using people or asking them and giving them a voice, that's what we translate um, inclusive to for us. It's, we, we tell people you have a voice or do you feel like you have a voice? And we did a couple years ago, we did a survey and, um, I would say we didn't we didn't score as high as we would have liked um, on voice, and we took a, a you know a big look at that and we said okay so what are what are the things and I will tell you a couple of things that came out of that, um, so generally in in especially in a, in a warehouse the warehouse setting is there's a certain proportion of people to supervisors right so we want to be efficient so we might say okay, in this area, we can have, you know, I've seen models where it's maybe 40 people to a supervisor or 50 people to a supervisor. So if someone wants to truly have a voice, how do you do that with that proportion? Now, you can have, you know, postings on a wall and you can have, you know, expect people to put a bright idea or put something on a board. Um, and you can, those I've seen really work well too. But I do think sometimes people want to talk. So the thing that that i Realized, I said, you know what? That's my, you know, that's part of that is my fault because we were probably trying to be too efficient. And if we really want to listen to people and really want to be inclusive, then then I need to have more supervision. I need to have more people because they need to have more conversations. Um, so I would say that is definitely um, one thing that uh, that that I did that I think is is relatively simple. Look at your ratio. Of supervisor to to people because you 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 might need to lower that number a little bit these days.
0: Dr. Bradley, how about you? Anything you can think of in terms of barriers that may stand in the way of diversity in the supply chain workforce?
1: You know there there are a number, but I'm going to hit one, and 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 it's, it's likely to be provocative. But it's what I call a politically correct focus on safe, and I'll use safe in quotes here. Safe diversity efforts. And and we've all seen it. And, and I'll give you an example. It's when we say we need to diversify our workforce in the supply chain. So let's look at the supply chain and let's see where do we have categories in which we are underrepresented? Well, there's probably quite a few. But the two that we often see come to the top, that surface to the top, are gender and ethnicity. And now with respect to those, then oftentimes executives find themselves facing the question, well, can we do both simultaneously? Or do we need to do we need to show some quick wins? Which one can we more likely improve the fastest? And that may be one attitude, but it's not about fast. It's about enduring. You know, one of my one of my uncles used to he used to always use this quote when I was younger. And he would say the little boy who runs fast won't run long. And, and it's a, and it's something that has stuck with me to this day because it can be applied to so many aspects of life, both both personally, socially, and professionally. And I think when it comes to many diversity efforts in the supply chain, we focus on fast. How do we get our percentages up quickly rather than are we getting the percentages up in the right areas? And so we do something that's quick, but it's not sustaining. And and so when I, I want to come back now to the safe diversity effort because that's the fast win or the, the quick win. The safe one is this, which one is going to be more palatable within our organization or within the groups we're going to have to try to work with? Is it gender or is it ethnicity? And I've seen and heard that debate so many times. And and, and so it's one of those things where it's an or rather than an and. And so what will often happen is gender, at least from in my experience and what I've seen, Gender diversity has almost always won in the supply chain conversation. And I believe, well, I don't even have to say I believe, I know because of being in the room where these conversations take place, it's the safe approach. We won't get a whole lot of pushback over that one. And there are other agendas, social agendas, that we can really come alongside that are supportive of promoting women in the workplace, and particularly in domains or, or segments in which they're not typically well represented. That's a safe diversity effort. That's not to say that it's a bad diversity effort, but what I'm saying is the way that we arrive at which diversity efforts that we're going to focus on, it's not necessarily the best approach to do it. And so I'm always, I, I am more in favor of an and approach than I am an or approach. And we should not be driven or dictated by what's going to be more palatable to external or even internal constituents, but rather it's what's going to be the best for the organization in the long haul. And so that's why I say, that's one of your greatest barriers, but it's a barrier that many organizations are unwilling to admit is before them because when they traverse it, they don't even realize what they're actually traversing.
0: That is excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I think you've given everyone a lot to think about today. Uh, We do have time for one more question, and I think it's appropriate to end on one reflecting today's workspaces. Uh, What do we need to keep in mind with regards to diversity and remote working? Let's start with you first, Annette.
2: Oh my gosh, this one is the most exciting question because uh, remote work, oh, it opens up. It opens up so much possibility. So Again, when you when you're looking for someone, you you typically say you're location driven, right? Now, if you have a physical job where you're, you know, you need to be on site, well, that's one thing. But for the remote, wow, you have the whole, I don't know, you have the whole globe you could open it up to, which is those are the conversations that we're having. Is it's really exciting because if the if the job is going to stay remote, remote, then um then you can, you really can open it up and you have more people who, you know, it may just, just not be your, your area or your County or, you know, driving distance. So I get really excited about that. So yes, this, it opens up huge possibility for, um, for diversity hires in the future. Dr. Bradley, your thoughts?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I don't like to separate my re- remote workers from the ones who are on premise because you know, And I know we're in a pandemic to where now all, all, nearly all of our on-premise are remote. But the thing is this, we, we do have a tendency to marginalize remote workers, and we don't necessarily intend to do it. So just, uh, what was it, either two days ago, I was on a call with an individual who says, I have primarily always been a remote worker. And she says, now during the pandemic, when everyone else in my office is, re- is working remotely, they now get a chance to see what life has been like for me. She said, I remember when wherever we would have meetings, I'm the maybe one or two of the people on the screen in square boxes. And oftentimes they even forget to acknowledge you. They forget that you exist. They forget that you're even part of the meeting. She said, but now everybody is a square box. And we take very particular, we we take uh, deliberate efforts. We put forth deliberate efforts to make sure that we acknowledge each person. And she was saying, "But where was that? When as a remote worker, I was in the minority, not from an ethnicity standpoint, not from a gender standpoint, just from a worker category standpoint. And so my thing is a diversity initiative and a diversity strategy is about the people, regardless of where, where they are geographically. And so I would say if your strategy can't be applied to remote workers or if we believe we have to have a separate strategy, we've got a much bigger problem altogether in terms of how, how we even understand managing people.
0: Well, I tell you, hands down, valuable, valuable insights from the both of you. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. And thank you, the listener, for listening to this installment of MHI Cast featuring Annette Danik Ake and Dr. Randy Bradley. We hope that you've gained some valuable and tremendous insights to help with your company's diversity strategy. And don't forget to keep up to date with the latest industry trends. Be sure to attend Promat DX visit promatshow.com to learn more. You know, we here at MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to that next level of success. So thank you for making us a part of your professional development journey. Thank you for listening to this MHI cast. At MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to the next level of success. Thanks for making us part of your professional development journey.